One of the things that I hold as a, a sacred trust as a pastor is this. In those moments when death draws near, when most individuals are ushered out of the room, I'm invited in. One of the great trusts I have as a pastor, one of the great responsibilities I have as a pastor is to hold the hand of those that are fixing to cross over the other side of Jordan. You have to be present when those last breaths are drawn to hold a hand, to cry, to sometimes stand speechless in the light of tragedy. That is a, a sacred trust that I hold. I, I remember at, when I was out from Philadelphia, one of the most powerful things I've ever experienced was we had, a, you know, out in the country back in the old days, every little community had a country store that had everything in it from gasoline to dog food to detergent. And uh, Mr. Brantley Cumberland owned that store there in Preston. And as Mr. Brantley's last days drew near, I visited with him. And uh, I was there when he passed. And not long before he passed, he looked at us real clear, he looked at us and the, me and the family real clear-eyed and said, do you hear him? Do, do we hear what, Mr. Brantley? You hear that choir? Doesn't it sound beautiful? I believe in these last moments of life that that divide, that wall between here and eternity is much more permeable. And we start getting a foretaste, a vision of what is to come in the end. I was, I was, uh, I help plan annual conference. I, I, I co-chair the committee that plans the annual conference for our state. And uh, we had one of our opening meetings the other day, and we went around the room and said, okay, what's your favorite part of conference? And once everyone said, oh, we like the visiting, or we like this, and we like that. And I said, my favorite part of service, of annual conference, is the memorial service. The memorial service for the annual conference is much like this service for the local church. And it, just like in a few minutes, we're going to name saints who've gone into glory, and we're going to light a candle and have a bell rung in their honor and memory. For the annual conference, we do the same thing, usually the Friday of annual, uh, morning of annual conference. And uh, we have all the clergy persons and all the delegates who have passed in that past year. Their names are read. A candle is lit. And a bell is sounded. And the reason why that service means a lot to me is because at some point, my name will be read at that service. At some point, the annual conference will comfort my wife and children. At some point, that body will hold my grieving wife and my grieving children and say this, we love you. See, within grief, we don't grieve for them. For they were the Lord. We grieve for ourselves. Because we are diminished. And we are lessened. And we, as the church, 
We, as the body of Christ, have a sacred duty to those that are grieving. To hold them. To comfort them. To speak grace to them. Today's sermon has been a few months in the planning stage. It didn't really start off as a sermon. Um, I usually plan a few weeks out with my sermon writing and my thinking, but this sermon kind of had its genesis in a pastoral care visit. Uh, two of the saints that are going to be called today are Walter and Emily Young. When Miss Emily passed, Mr. Walter grieved her like I've probably never seen anyone grieve a loved one. And he called Kay and a few others and said, I want, to know what Ms. I want to know what Ms. Emily's doing. I want to know what she's doing in heaven. I want to know what's going on with her because I miss her. And I want to know what she's up to. Would you come talk to me? So I said, of course. So I did some research and I did some work on this. And I, and, and I wanted to know what Scripture says about eternity. What Scripture says about death and heaven. And so we're going to look today at some Scriptures. We're going to do something I usually don't do. Usually I look at one scripture and I reflect upon it. Today we're going to look at a lot of different passages. So as I told the early service, if you'd like a copy of this sermon or if you'd like a copy of these verses, shoot me an email or let me know and I'll be glad to get you a copy of what I, what I say today to kind of help you process these type of things. So we're going we're gonna to look today at what scripture, as scripture says specifically about eternity and, and about heaven. But before that, a few notes, just a few, a few things I want you to be aware of within this. First, um, Heaven's God's party, and he sets the invitation list. This is God's domain. So it's his party, and he sets the invitation list. Be aware of that. Secondly, uh, I've never been there, um, so this will not be coming from personal experience. Uh, even Paul, whose scripture tells us, got called into the third heaven. He struggled to explain what eternity was like and what heaven was like. So be aware of that. But thirdly, and most importantly, um, as a pastor, as a preacher... I do my very best to only speak where Scripture speaks. And when Scripture is silent, I try to be silent. I build my life and my ministry upon the Word of God. So I want to speak to you only what Scripture says. And be silent where Scripture is silent. With eternity, there's a lot of stuff there. And so within that, by the way, if I'm ever going to give you my opinion, I'm going to be very careful to say, this is my opinion. But I only want to speak what Scripture says, and I want to be silent where Scripture is silent. So just as we talk of eternity, I want you to be aware of that. So there we go. So what's heaven going to be like? Well, the thing is, no one really knows. No one knows. Um, somebody asked Tom Landry one time. I love this quote. Tom Landry, they said, uh, do you think there'll be football in heaven? He said, well, if there's not, I don't want to go. Uh, this is, we don't know what heaven's going to be like, but this is what Paul tells us in um, 1 Corinthians 2.19. That what heaven is, what eternity is, is it's better than anything your human mind can fathom. Eternity is better than anything you can ever imagine, anything you can ever dream, anything you can ever want. It's better than any of this. It says here in 2 Corinthians 2.9, but as it's written, as it's written, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, or human heart conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. So in other words, eternity is better than anything, anything our mind can ever even imagine. 
It's better than anything on this life. I, I tell people, I explain it like this. Like, um, you ever have, every one of us here has had at least one moment in your life where you knew you were in the presence of God. You've had at least one moment in your life where you felt God's spirit and God's power. You've had, everyone here has had at least that one moment. It may have been passing. It may have been brief. It may have just been a moment. But you've had that moment when you knew you were in the presence of God. You knew you were loved. You knew you were his child. Okay. That was a foretaste. Eternity will be like that forever. That bliss, that peace, that comfort, that life. That is what eternity is forever. That moment is a mini cupcake. Eternity is like the whole cake. That moment is like the little, the little, the little sample packs they give you at Sam's Club. Eternity is the whole lasagna. Eternity, we're no longer bound by our human flesh and our brokenness. Paul says in Corinthians... We will, be no, we will know fully as we have been fully known. In eternity, we will be in peace and be in life and be in love forever. And our minds can't even fathom the joy and the peace that awaits for those who believe. So then, what else do we know? Well, first, one of the things that we need to be, be aware of that Scripture teaches us is um, we, we will not be angels in heaven. You know the old, uh, the old thing from Wonderful Life, every time a bell rings, an eagle gets their wings or whatever it is. And that's kind of what culture teaches us. When we die, we become angels. N- no, that's not what scripture teaches. Angels are created beings. God made angels. God made humans. They're two different creations of God. So when we die and go to heaven, it is, we do not become angels. We stay human. We don't become something else. Now we do have, we're going to talk about what it's like, what our bodies will be like in heaven, but we do not become angels. We stay human. Angels are a completely different created entity than human beings. What the Bible, what the Bible does say, it says this, but that, this is, this is, this is uh, Matthew 22, verse 30. For the resurrection, they will neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they will be like angels in heaven. Not that they will be angels, but they'll be like angels. In other words, we will have full access to God. The heavenly host, the angelic choir, they have full access to God. They're not bound by flesh and temptation and brokenness, but they can fully enter into God's presence. So what Paul is talking about is that in eternity, we will be able to fully enter into God's presence. We will not have this veil anymore in front of us. That's what he means when he says we'll be like angels, but we will not be angels. They are a completely different created order than us as humans. We will remain, we will remain human. But here's the thing, our bodies will be different. We have what Paul calls spiritual bodies. We see him talk about this in 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. So, with the resur- so is it with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a physical body. It is raised in a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there's also a spiritual body. So in eternity, 
There will be a physicality to us. There will be a tangible, touchable quality to who we are. We in eternity will not be disembodied spirits. There will be a physicality and something tangible to us that you can touch and see and experience and know. That's what Scripture says. We see it in Jesus after the resurrection. Jesus, after the resurrection, kind of gives us an image, an image of this. It says this in John chapter 21, 12 through 14. Jesus says this. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, now none of the disciples asked there to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. Now, this is the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he'd been raised from the dead. So we see after the resurrection, Jesus is eating breakfast with them. Now, it's bread and fish. I would have chosen a cheeseburger. That's just me. But we see Jesus physically eating. We see that he is eating. There is a physicality. They knew who he was. They saw him eating. He invited them to eat with him. So we see that after the resurrection, in eternity, that we are not just disembodied spirits, but we have a physical body to us. Paul struggled. He said it's a spiritual body. So he didn't explain what that meant, but there is that, there is a body to us. And so in eternity, we'll know each other. Scripture teaches that we will know each other. We will see each other and we will know each other. So here's what it says. One of the, one examples of this is, is in Matthew 17, the transfiguration. The transfiguration in Matthew 17 is when we see Jesus in his full glory. The, the, the veil of humanity is laid aside and we see Jesus glorious and dazzling. We see him in his true beauty and true glory. But here's what it says here. This is Matthew 17, 1 through 3. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and James and his brother John and led them on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared with them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwelling places, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Peter and James and John immediately recognized Moses and Elijah. He saw them and he knew them. He knew who they were. He recognized them. He, they, they were Moses and Elijah. He knew them immediately. So in eternity, we will know each other. We will see each other. We will remember each other. We will have that experience in eternity because we see it here in the transfiguration. We also see it in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, bless his heart, Saul summoned, goes to the witch of Endor and has her summon back Samuel from the grave. And this happens. This is 1 Samuel 28 through 12. But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring to you? He answered, bring Samuel for me. So when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out, and the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. So in this scripture passage here, here uh, uh, the witch of Endor summons Saul, uh, Samuel's back from the grave to talk with Saul. And they immediately recognized it was Samuel. So in other words, in eternity, we will know each other. We will see each other. There will be a physicality to us in eternity. So, um, preacher, we're going to know each other. 
But the Bible says that in eternity we won't be given in marriage. We won't be married, those type things. How's that work? Well, this is my opinion. Remember I said if I'm going to give you my opinion, I'll give you my opinion. But I think that's what Scripture teaches. Okay, I use my family as an example. Holly Stoddard is my sister in Christ. She loves the Lord. She put her faith in Jesus, and she's a follower of Christ. But when I see Holly walk by, I don't go, hey, there's my sister in Christ, Holly Stoddard. I go, there's my wife. There's the mother of my children. Now, I know she's a Christian, and I know that, yes, she is my sister in Christ, but here upon the earth, our primary relationship with each other is are the family relationships and the friendship relationships. We know that, yes, we, we, we are also brothers and sisters in Christ, but upon the earth, our family and friendship connections are the primary touchstones that we think of first. Sarah is not my sister in Christ first. She's my daughter. My mama is not my sister in Christ first. She's my mother. Now, is that right? I don't know, but that's the way it is. I think in eternity, it's flipped. So in eternity, I will see Holly, or she'll see me, and she will know that we were married. She will know that upon the earth, that I was, she was my wife and I was her husband. But that won't be our primary relationship in eternity. Our primary relationship in eternity will be that we're both children of God. And that we are both able to come fully into God's presence. And both able to, and able to worship both fully in God's presence. So yes, we will know each other. And we will love each other. And we will be there for each other. And we will care for each other. But on the earth, our family relationships are primary. And typically, our walk with God is secondary. In eternity, it's switched. Our walk with God is primary. Our connection with Him is primary. And our relationship with each other is secondary. It's not to diminish it. It's not to say that it's unimportant. But the, the relationship with God becomes primary in eternity. So what do we do all day in heaven? This is what it says in uh, Revelation chapter 5, 18 through 14. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sing a new song. You're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed God's saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests serving our God, and they reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard a voice of many angels surrounding the throne, the living creatures and elders that numbered myriads and myriads of thousands and thousands, singing with full voice, (coughs) worthy is the Lamb. That was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the, and the, and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne. To the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. In eternity, we will spend all of eternity worshiping our God and being at one with God. You ever, had a, you ever had a tough time communica- communicating with somebody? You're like, come on, really? You're not, come on, are you not hearing me? You ever had a tough time communicating with God? You ever felt like your prayers were bouncing off the ceiling? 
You ever felt like God wasn't there or God wasn't listening? I have. In eternity, that will be no more. Eternity, Paul says in Corinthians, we will know fully as we have been fully known. We will know God completely and totally, and we will be in his presence forever. And we will know him, know love, know mercy, know peace, know these things fully and completely with every fiber of our being. We will be completely at peace, completely in bliss, completely in love, completely in in the, in the glory of God forever. Like I said, that little moment, that little snapshot where you felt God's glory in your life, that little snapshot where you felt God's peace, that's a foretaste of what is to come. That peace, that joy, that, 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 that power you felt in that moment will be what you will experience for all of eternity, forever. For we will forever be with the Lord for all eternity. I heard somebody put it like this. There are five things we'll do in heaven. We will worship without distraction. We will serve without exhaustion. We will fellowship without fear. We will learn without fatigue. We will rest without boredom. We will be fully alive. All of the sin and weight that encumber us now all the temptations, all the struggles, all the fears, all the doubts, all the worries, all the things that pull us away from God and from each other will be forever gone. And we will be fully alive. Scripture teaches that when we die, we go to God. It says in Luke 23, 42 through 43. Then he said, Jesus, remember when you come into your kingdom. He replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 8. Yes, we do have confidence. That we would rather be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. One day we'll be with the Lord. And all of this will be gone. There will be no more sickness and pain and tragedy and hatred and elections. No more tears. No more losing those we love. No more burdened down by temptation and doubt. But the veil will be gone. And we will know the Lord as he knows us. We will know fully as we have been fully known. And we will be what God created us to be. In perfect peace with him. And in perfect peace with each other. Now I love life. Life is good, y'all. But there's something better coming. And when we all get to heaven... What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. Let us pray.